Welcome to the Toronto Landmark Story Series, brought to you by freeconference.com and Dundurn Press. We hope you enjoy your experience as you settle in and listen to the passage, The Toronto Islands from Toronto Lost Villages, written and narrated by Ron Brown. These days, the popular Toronto Islands are a busy summertime retreat for Torontonians and have been so for many decades. Even indigenous peoples came here to hunt and fish, although no evidence of villages has been found. Among the first Europeans to enjoy the air and breeze on the islands was Lady Elizabeth Simcoe, the adventurous wife of John Graves Simcoe, by then Upper Canada's first lieutenant governor. She wrote often in her diary of riding on the sand spit, enjoying the natural vegetation. Geologically, the island was a spit of land posited by the lake currents swirling westward from the Scarborough Bluffs past the swampy mouth of the Don River. Strategically, the spit of land created a large natural harbor which had drawn Simcoe to the site as a location to replace Newark, and now known as Niagara-on-the-Lake, which was the capital at that point. On Gibraltar Point, the outermost point of the peninsula, Simcoe, in 1808, added a tall stone lighthouse. Since enlarged, it still stands today. In 1833, Michael O'Connor built the island's first hotel and began daily ferry service to the mainland. In 1843, Louis Privat added the Peninsula Hotel. A small colony of fishermen established a base on Wards Island. Then in April of 1858, waves from a fierce storm washed across the narrow bridge of sand severing the rest of the spit from the mainland. This was seen as an opportunity. Dredge the new channel and create a shipping lane. The gap has remained the harbor's main freighter point of entry to this day. Hanlon's Point, the westerly end of the spit, began to attract hotels and cottages as well, including a new 8,000-seat baseball stadium. Completed in 1909, it was from this stadium that the legendary baseball great, Babe Ruth, said to have launched his first professional home run. But it was Centre Island that grew into the recreational focus, with shops, hotels and children's rides crowding the main thoroughfare, Manitou Road, which led from the new ferry docks to the beach by the lake. In the 1950s, however, the city, which owned the islands, removed the old structures to make way for grass. Meanwhile, on Wards Island, the easternmost portion, a different story was unfolding. Wards was originally a city campground, but campers finally received permission to erect small cottages and their own tent sites, while larger summer homes sprang up by the shore of the lake. The city, however, didn't want people. They wanted more grass and in the 1950s ordered the residents to leave. Although much of the community was demolished, some residents refused to leave without a fight. Eventually they won the day, and Wards Island remains the site of many small eclectic homes. At one time, a cottage community also thrived on Hanlon's Point. Demand for an airport, however, forced the removal of 31 cottages in 1938 to a new location on Algonquin Island, which was until then known as Sunfish Island. The original air terminal building now sits beside the runway of today's Billy Bishop Airport. Other vestiges from the days of the larger island village include the rectory cafe housed in the manse of a former church minister, the lovely white wooden church, St. Andrews by the Lake, which hosts many a wedding and a pair of early bridges. 
Evidence of the bitter eviction feud lingers in the foundations and sidewalk that yet line the former Lakeside Road, now a walkway. A large amusement area known as Centerville and a restaurant have restored some of the summer fun to the islands. We hope you enjoyed learning about the Toronto Islands. To find Ron Brown's Toronto Lost Villages, visit dundurn.com or your nearest bookstore. Thank you.